0: This week we're going to be covering the famous comedy, or satire, by Aristophanes, entitled The Clouds, and we'll have it finished by Tuesday. Whatever we don't finish in class, you'll have to do for homework, but it's called The Clouds, written by Aristophanes, A-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-A-N-E-S, or you can look on the cover of your book right there. And we are still, as far as our class is concerned, covering the history amidst the Peloponnesian War. Now, if we have time this semester, we're going to read um, a book on the Peloponnesian War. But just to remind us, what two major nation city-states are fighting during the Peloponnesian War? Athens and Sparta. Sparta that's right. And we know that Athens loses, and that ends the golden era of classical Athens. And um, so we know that's about to come. And uh, later this year we'll be studying classical Rome, which comes a little bit later. But right now we're still in the 4th century BC. What biblical characters are alive in this time and serving? Isaiah? No. Isaiah was uh, earlier this year. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. This is right around the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. This is also the same time as our tragedy writer. What was his name? The great... Tragedian, Euripides, that's right. And earlier tr- tragedians like um, Sophocles. So we're toward the end of the Peloponnesian War, during the classical Golden age of Athens. Socrates is a famous philosopher and teacher um, living in the city. Everyone knows who he is. And Aristophanes is what we might think of as a, a c- comedian, as a comedian. So there's tragedians, and what do they write? Tragedies with the downward trajectory. And then there's comedians that write comedies with the upward trajectory. Now, he's not just a comedian. He's also what's called a satirist. A satirist, S-A-T-I-R-I-S-T. A satirist, that's a bold print word for your quiz tomorrow. And satirists are a particular species of comedian that mocks and ridicules Especially politicians, cultural elites, the habits and the clothing and the various um, aspects of their particular society. You, you probably know some satirists living today, like Chris Rock is a satirist. And um, so is Dave Chappelle. And so is um, Saturday Night Live. They're satirists. They oftentimes mock you know, politicians and... Funny things in society, and some are more cruel and more mocking than others. Jerry Seinfeld makes fun of of things in everyday life, right? Going to the bathroom in a public space, or renting a car, or you know, having various relationships and and things like that. He's a satirist in that sense, but a satirist can be incredibly mocking, and they can be incredibly powerful culturally. So Martin Luther was a satirist. He would not only preach against the Pope, he would draw political cartoons making fun of the Pope in, in very in, uh, insulting ways. So that's what a satirist is, and, and this particular um, play that we're reading is a satire called The Clouds, and it's making fun of the philosophers and the sophists of the day, which we're going to get to in a second, so you don't have to write that down just yet. Uh, Aristophanes wrote about 40 plays. He was the most famous of the comedians, of the satirists, and we still have 11 of his plays, and right here you have a large portion of those plays right here in this book. Now these plays, these comedies, they would have been performed at festivals, especially the Dionysian Festival, which was held annually in Athens. They were public performances, and the who's who of Athens would, would come to these particular plays. And this play, The Clouds, was not very well liked because Socrates was somewhat popular, and people didn't like Aristophanes making fun of Socrates. That's probably why it wasn't well liked. <clears throat> and um, the interesting thing about it and why we study it is because, well, because the main character is Socrates, or at least the, the target of Socrates but also because Socrates, a couple of decades later, was executed and for corrupting the minds of the youth with his philosophy. And that's a little close to what happens in this particular play. Oh, no. So Plato, when he writes of Socrates' execution, remember how was Socrates executed? He was forced... What, Jackson? No? He was forced to drink hemlock. That's exactly right. Plato said that uh, one of the reasons why people hated Socrates so much was because of this play. This play by Aristophanes. The main characters, let's jump into that. the characters. there's Strepsiades. Don't ask me how exactly how to spell it. And we can look that up in our book here. If you want to turn to page um, 76, you can see the how to spell it. Strepsiades is a farmer. He's struggling with restless nights because he owes his debtors so much money. He's broke. And he's broke because of his lazy son, Pheidippides, which you can also see how to spell on the next page. Pheidippides. Pheidippides is a mooch. He's a lazy, high-maintenance son who refuses to go to school, and all he wants to do is bet on the horses. He loves going to the horse track and... You know evangeling downs and betting on the ponies. That's what he's up to. And then there's the school called the Thinkery, which I think is a funny name for a school. It's a joke. It's the Thinkery. It's Socrates' school, where he um, pontificates and spreads his ridiculous philosophies. At least according to this book. And then there's the clouds, and they are. Aristophanes version of the gods so to speak you remember in Euripides the gods would come in and sing songs and there's these choirs and choruses and in this particular book the, the chorus breaks in and it's clouds singing and uh and I think it's a little bit of a a, a little a, in a little bit he's making fun of the gods he's making fun of them a little bit but not too much he's not trying to get himself killed so those are the main characters, and the main point of the story is this, basically. The farmer, Strepsiades, if I'm saying it right, is uh, overcome with debt and financial burdens because of his uh, high-maintenance, irresponsible mooch of a son who keeps gambling away all of his money, and so he decides to send his son to the thinkery. What he wants is for his son to learn the techniques of the philosophers, and especially the techniques of the sophists. See, the sophists were those people who they were um, pragmatic; they weren't concerned so much with truth, but rather they just wanted to debate and argue and win the debate. And we'll talk more about the sophists in a second. But he wanted to send his son to the to the thinkery so that he could learn how to win arguments so that he could win arguments in court and save his father from his legal fees. But his son, of course, is a loser. He doesn't want to go to school. And so instead, the farmer dad, he enrolls himself in school. And then hijinks and comedic instances ensue. He is eventually kicked out of the school by Socrates for being a class clown, farting in public and other crazy things. Um, and he describes all the various things that take place in the school, like um, researching how far fleas can jump by putting little boots on their feet and other strange things like that. And so uh, one, I remember one particular scene is where he's the whole class is studying the moon by staring at the ceiling. And so eventually this class clown gets booted out of the school and um, his son is then convinced to go to the school and his son learns how to argue and how to win debates But all the son does is turn his arguing and his logical abilities on his father and begins to beat his father toward the end of the story, arguing that it's right for him to beat his dad because, after all, his dad beat him when he was a kid, etc., etc. And he has all these various arguments for why it's good to beat your father to death. Um, Of course, he's not following biblical law. So that's basically the story. And um, a, the father, disgruntled at Socrates' effect on his child, goes to the school and burns it to the ground. So a very Breaking Bad kind of a comedy. But let's get into the worldview just a bit. <clears throat> this is a comedy, and so we have to consider whether or not humor and comedy is right for Christians. A lot of Christians don't know how to have any fun. They don't know how to tell jokes. No sense of humor. Not a lot of Christian comics out there these days, but um, we're, we're getting a few more. You know, Tim Hawkins, John Christ. But back in the day, comedy and humor was, was seen almost like dancing. You know, it was a little, a little uh, disrespectful, maybe. And, of course, mocking is still thought of as a, a horrendous evil. Um, although we see in the Bible that God mocks. And so do the prophets. They mock as well. Jesus even mocked. I think there's one particular example where he mocked the Pharisees and uh, catching them in difficult questions. And once where he mocked Herod, calling him a female fox, a vixen. You know, mocking is not inherently wrong. It depends on what you're mocking, right? But um, but humor is a good thing, and God has a sense of humor. God even mocks. And and you know God has a sense of humor if you've ever looked out at it, nature. Right, what are some funny animals that you can tell? God has to have had a sense of humor. Yes, Jackson? The platypus. The platypus, yes. <laughs> Lucas? A blobfish. A blobfish, I like it. Landon? An Arabian sandal. Its eyes are on top of its head. Is that a snake? Yeah, its eyes okay. are on its Speaking of eyes on the top of its head, a flounder. What a strange fish. It's pushed sideways. Monkeys, of course, are funny. They throw poop. Marie? Chickens. Chickens, yes, very large on top, skinny little legs. The dodo bird is oh, yeah. definitely a comedic animal. Um, I? Don't the, like, sea cow. the sea cow, manatee. You mean yeah. manatee? Don't be, you know, don't be offensive. A ferret, <clears throat> a ferret. Yeah, you know. The, obviously, you look out at nature. I can look out in my backyard and see my stupid goats, and I can tell that God has a sense of humor. It comes from the very heart of God. Right? God is wrathful, which is why we see wrath in nature, and He is funny and humorous, and He mocks. We see all of these various things in nature, and we also see it in the heart of men. Men, are, men like to laugh, right? Men like to laugh because men are created in the image of God. But laughter is also educational. When you see something is funny and joyful and causing, causing merriment, you want to be like it. You want to follow it. You want to, to get on board. But when you see something as dour and depressing and miserable and uh, something that produces only bitterness and tears, what do you not want to do? You want to avoid it. That's right. If you see something that's ridiculous and absolutely stupid, and it it is clear how stupid it is because uh, satirists have mocked it to death, just as I mock evolution, for example. You hear those things, you laugh at it, and what do you not want to do? You don't want to follow it. You don't want to believe in it. Satire is educational. It teaches us, it directs us, it it moves us in a particular direction. If you're on Mount Carmel when Elijah was fighting the prophets of Baal and he began to mock them, right? Remember the story? You know, why hasn't your God answered your prayers? Perhaps he's in the bathroom. Taking a long deuce, I suppose. But if, if you were on the winning team, if you were a Christian there, you would be laughing it up. Like, why would you follow these guys? He's mocking. And mocking does have educational value. It, it steers you. And that's including satire. If you're fighting a tyrant, one of the things you want to do is mock the tyrant. Show him to be ridiculous. The emperor who has no clothes on. That's what the that whole story is about. Right, just as luther did the tyrannical pope of his day and so that's what aristophanes is he's a satirist and he's making fun of athenian life you know deconstructing it a little bit and uh, he's not hard on every aspect of athenian life um, but he is hard on socrates and the sophists and the philosophers and so that brings us to our last section you need to know these two terms there's the philosophers they were a class or a guild, a guild of of person in classical Athens. And they were what you would think of as above money. You know, they they had their head in the clouds, which might be where that expression comes from. They sort of floated off the ground a few inches. They were seekers of knowledge. But oftentimes when you only seek knowledge for knowledge's sake, when you engage in abstract thinking, um, sometimes having your head in the clouds like that can make you no good for, for everyday life. Right? There's a lot of, of uh, philosophical issues that people might like to explore that are really doing no good for mankind. But on the other hand, the philosophers did engage in, in learning Knowledge. You had people like Hippocrates of the Hippocratic Oath, who was a philosopher and a doctor, so to speak, and he went out to learn and and gain knowledge about the human anatomy and the nervous system and, and the skeletal structures, and those things are super helpful, so gathering knowledge can be helpful, but the downside of it is that sometimes the way they go about gathering knowledge and the point of it all is futile. Which is Aristophanes' point. He's going to you know, make fun of them fairly mercilessly in this, in this particular book. But then there, on the other hand, there's the sophists who don't believe in truth. They don't believe in knowledge. Everything is relative. All right, write this term down. Relativism. Relativism. It's a bold print word. That's a, a philosophy or an idea that means there are no moral absolutes. There is no true truth. You know, what did Pilate say to Jesus? What is truth? He was influenced by the sophists. And so the sophists being relativists, very pragmatic, write that term down, pragmatism, the belief that something is good if it works, They were like our modern-day postmodernists who don't believe in truth. Have you ever heard someone say, well, that's true for me? Or or they've referred to truth as my truth. Well, I have my truth and you have your truth. That's very sophist of them. The sophists were that way. They didn't believe in objective truth or beauty or goodness. And so the end result was money, power, winning the debate. And so with debates and arguments, they'd go round and round, um, trying to win whatever debate contest, for example, in classical Athens, or whatever contract they were trying to get. They were your, uh, your sleazy car salesman who has no morals and no values and is simply cares only about the bottom line, and he uses trickery and deception and, and deceitful sales tactics to win your heart over. Make sense? <clears throat> Aristophanes is going to make fun of both these groups, the philosophers and the sophists, he does put Socrates as a sophist, which is not historically accurate as far as anyone can tell. But he also mocks the gods, but not too much. And he mocks marriage, but not too much. And he mocks the banks, and he mocks a lot of Athenian culture. But the one thing he doesn't have, because it's not biblical mockery, is he doesn't have a solution. Right? He pokes holes in, in society. He deconstructs society, so to speak, with his jokes. But he can't reconstruct society in a way that's no longer ridiculous. So there were many things about ancient classical Athens culture that was ridiculous, but they had no solution well, because they didn't have the Bible. And so I think uh, I think we'll enjoy it as we read it together. And we're going to try to read it together as a class and uh, we'll see if you all can keep up.